always is always a pleasure coming over here. It's not just something I put in my notes to say. It's always great, and I, I love being with you guys. So thank you very much. Um, yeah. So a couple of things before we start. This doesn't go down on my time. <laughs> First, thank you so much for supporting the Food Bank Five campaign because I know for you it's a bit of a double whammy because you uh, support Bexhill Food Bank, which is fantastic as they do their good work not just in Bexhill but into Battle and Rye and some of Rother. But you also gave generously to Hastings Food Bank, which not only covers Hastings, actually we cover the Rother in between Battle and Rye, down the A20, A21. People often come down to us. And actually, we're open on some different days. So sometimes when people can't get to, get to Bexhill Food Bank, they come to us. So it's, it's a team effort in trying to eradicate food poverty in this part of Sussex. It's not a competition, it's a team effort. Um, the reason we asked the church to step up with a Food Bank Five campaign, which was to give five items for five weeks or five pounds for five weeks, was because we see record numbers, 112% uh, increase in the three years since universal credit to before universal credit. That's not all down to universal credit, but a lot of it is. Um, and this Christmas, in the, the week running up to Christmas, we're open Christmas Eve, um, the session before Christmas Eve, we nearly broke. All the, sesh all the stuff that we've put in place, all the increases we've done, um, it, we were just overwhelmed. There's a story in the Bible when Jesus says to Peter, God, let's put out and fish. And he says, oh, we've been doing this. And let's put out and fish. And Peter says, well, because it's you, we'll go. And Jesus says, what about over there? And there's so many fish, they have to signal to shore, James, John, get up here, the nets are going to break. It was like that. Paul and Hannah, Paul leads the church and Hannah's the uh, ops manager. They said, we never hear food bank because it runs underneath. They said, we could hear food bank. And we heard someone say something not too pleasant, so we ran down to make sure you were okay. I, I'm not joking. We're saying the need was, the stories are so desperate and the need is so overwhelming, it's heartbreaking. And because you dig deep, it's not, we're not being do-gooders. Because we're Christians and we should give a little. It's making a difference to people in our community. It's sharing the love of God. We want all of you to know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior because he's wonderful. But it's not just about trying to get selfishly sort of saved to go to heaven on some sort of Jesus trip. It's about accepting the love of God into our hearts and then letting that flow out to others as well. And you guys are really right at the forefront of that. And you give to both or do give to both. I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and from all the people at Food Bank and that receive the food. Secondly, Central St. Leonard's, we had our second. Uh, we're doing it a bit different to Bexhill. We learned some stuff from you, but we're changing it a bit to suit where we are. So we're sort of doing a vision and value so people can come and find out about us as we do a Sunday meeting. We're doing sort of both at once without too much advertising. We had a great time, over 50 people again. And the joy of, we don't advertise really, uh, we're just seeing what it feels like to do church and be family in that area. The joy of my heart this time as a pastor of the church was we had loads of different contributions. Uh, God was working amongst us with pictures and some other word of knowledge. A bit like Steve's about some people here, God might want to rescue you for all eternity today. We had someone that had a word of knowledge about someone's bad back, someone responded, prayed for. Most of the people that contributed weren't with us when we started. We haven't even launched yet. Saved, added, baptized, and we're looking forward to doing Alpha 
again this year, which I'll talk about a bit later. So thank you for your prayers and support. One of the things, it has been noted, you are doing well, is when there's one church, so you're, you're here on behalf of King's Church to get the gospel out to this area. So, so let people know there's a God that loves them and he's got a wonderful plan for their life. Um, but you also always throw your weight behind one church stuff. It's just, we know when it's full because Bex Hill's rocked up. And in one sense, you're the smaller relation to Hastings. But in another sense, when you turn up, you don't know what it does to us. We're like, great, Bex Hill's here. Or we feel, let's go. It's like you bring more than you are. So thank you so much from myself, who's over in Hastings, St. Leonard's. Anyway, moving on. You need to keep me accountable on time, Andrew, which I know you will. I preached the first one at Hastings. There's not even a clock. Like, I lost 10 minutes of my time. There's not even a clock, and suddenly all these people that know these things are fidgeting and looking at their watch, and I thought, oh, I've got to go. I've not finished. Um, So I'm here because at the start of 2020, which, by the way, I think is going to be a good year for the kingdom of God. I think it's going to, it might be challenging, but it's going to be a good year for Bexhill and, and for King's Church Hastings. We're starting with a mini-series on mission. And today I want to talk about why and how should we share our faith. You probably think, John, I've heard that all before. You probably have. John, I already, yes, we want to hear it again. You probably think, yeah, I do that. I know. I know I'm coming to a place where you do. You like to get out on the streets. But let me encourage you. I'm making an attempt, God gives gifts to help lead his church, I'm making an attempt to operate in the gift of the evangelist, to try and, so they obviously, often they don't preach very well, not always, but often, often they say things you've heard before, not as well as other people, but something happens, faith comes, because it's a gift of God, so we don't have to rely on my skill, my ability, although I've worked hard on this, we rely on the gift of God. So I pray that you are encouraged and inspired for what we're going to say. Last week, Paul talked about a personal journey. He's on, he leads the church and the team that leads the church. He talked about the personal journey he's been on, where he's so good at leading the church and so good at, uh, at discipling people, but he perhaps has lagged behind in sharing his faith with non-Christians and mixing with people that don't need to know Jesus. And God, has, the Holy Spirit's been saying to him, look, don't forget those outside the church. And it's not his, he's an introvert, it's not his natural natural thing like me to be chatting to everyone and anyone you can get your hands on. And so he's been coming doing some food bank sessions, so that puts him in a place where it's easy for him to share his faith. Um, And he spoke from the Gospel of Matthew about the calling of the first disciples. And then he finished in Romans, uh, a letter Paul wrote to a church in Rome, and basically saying, how are people going to know if we don't go? How can they respond if they don't hear because we won't speak? That was his challenge he left us with. And I want to go back to the first verses he spoke to in Matthew. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it. You don't have to. The words will come up when I read it. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So he left Nazareth his hometown, and went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. I'm going to 
jump down to verse 17. From that time, so as soon as he heard John was in prison, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. Guys, change how you think and let that affect your heart and your lifestyle. Turn to God from your own way. That's what that word really means. Because the king of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is coming now. It's going to be here in a minute. So John, um, that's what Jesus preached. Then while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately. This is weird, isn't it? If I came up to you at work and said, Kevin Burford, leave your computer, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's just an odd thing if you don't know the background. So, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He said the same thing to them. He called them. And immediately, another two guys leave their boat and their father and their business and followed him. And, he, and then Jesus took them with him, and he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news that God's kingdom, God's king, was going to come, and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. So obviously, if you did that, your fame would spread. So, where I'm going with this is I've got three basic points. There's always going to be opposition to you sharing your faith with people. There's always going to be an invitation from God for you to share your faith with people. And the final point is going to be this. If we overcome the opposition and accept the invitation, then it gets exciting. Because then the action of God happens. The action of God happens. We have this phrase, don't we? It's all about God. That is true, but it's not the whole truth. Because God has chosen to partner with, come, follow me. Follow God, follow Jesus. It's all about him, but I will make you fishers of men. It is all about God. He's the one who calls us. He's the one that makes fishers of men, but he doesn't do it on his own. So it is all about God. It never relies on us, but he is calling us, like he did with these disciples to partner with him. So, here we go. Opposition. John the Baptist has just been arrested. And Jesus withdraws. It says elsewhere, basically, he's related to John. He loves John. He's devastated. Because when you were arrested back in those days, it wasn't like now. You're just going to be had over for a couple of days. It's quite nice. And then someone's going to come. No, no, you went to prison then. It could cost you your life. And it did. Jesus is heartbroken, so he withdraws. But then Jesus says, right, time's my time now. Guess what happens if Andrew does something and he's arrested and then Sam says, Andrew's gone, I'll stand up and do it now. Guess what's going to happen to Sam probably? It's not going to go well. Guess what happened to Jesus in the end? Humanly speaking, it didn't go well. He ended up in the same predicament as John. Although he rose from the dead, thank goodness, which we might talk about later. 
So Jesus had opposition to overcome. It's not true that Jesus wasn't human. Jesus was a son of God, John. Yes, he was, but he was also a man. He had to come to a decision in his own heart. He had to respond to his father's call. Son, it's time for you to take center stage. He had to, he knew, Jesus knew what was going to happen. If you go read back a little bit further in Matthew, Jesus has just come from being tempted by the devil in, in the wilderness. It says, and the devil comes along and basically says to Jesus, he whispers all sorts of things. He attacks his identity. He attacks, did God really say? Is that really what the word of God says? Basically, the devil comes along to Jesus and says, I'll do anything I can to stop you rescuing humanity. You ever thought about that? What's he trying to stop Jesus doing? I will do anything I can to stop you rescuing Sam and Kevin and Claire. Anything I can to save humanity from their mess so they get to restore to what God intended. They become the beautiful, wonderful images of God they should be. I will do anything to stop that. That's what the attack on Jesus is about. And then John the Baptist is arrested. Opposition. It takes into what I get from that is it's not why this verse was written, but it's what I'm getting from this is there'll always be opposition. And it'll be internal and external. Hands up when you feel like the opportunity is coming around for you to share your faith with someone, or you make a decision to go out and share your faith with someone, or someone like me who's a little bit of an evangelist comes along and says, Come on, we're going to go out and share our faith. Hands up who thinks, Oh no. Yeah. Shall I let you into a secret? Most evangelists do too. They've just learned to overcome it. I don't. We, I, we did the thing called the turning, and I thought, oh, basically, I'm on staff here. I'm one of, the, one of the ones who operates in evangelistic gifting a bit more. I should probably go. That's going out cold on the streets, walking up to people, asking if you can talk to them, and saying, do you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? It's so easy. I nearly threw up before I went. Oh, no, I'm not, not joking. I'm, and everyone's looking for me for confidence and co come on, we'll go with John. And I'm thinking, in a minute, I feel a bit green. There's opposition. I asked my wife, who's obviously married to me, who's very different to me, very private, very different, wonderful, but different. I said, um, how do you feel when you're with me? And I said, go on, you show your faith. So she says, I feel sick. And all these questions come into my head. The gospel, the fact that God loves people and that Jesus came to save them, it's so massive. There's so much involved. How, I won't, I'll miss bits out. I won't do a good job, so fear comes in me. I, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to disrupt their... So all these things come into her thinking. There's an internal pressure. Some of that's right because we want to be sensitive because we don't share the gospel so we can get a little sticker and go running back to John and say, I shared, or Paul or Andrew or Sam, I shared my faith. It's because we love people. We know God loves them. So some of that, we want to be wise and thoughtful. It's we're, we're, not, we're not a cult. We're not making this up. This is the truth. God has come to rescue people. We want to share the truth. We do that lovingly. But behind that, the Bible is very clear. We do have an enemy, and he will still do anything to stop you, stop God through you rescuing people in this life and for the life to come. He'll do anything. So that's internal. 
into our own thoughts externally. Nowadays, you can believe anything you like as long as you don't tell someone else to believe it. That's the golden rule. If that's right for you, I could be a six-foot black Chinese woman. I'm, I know that sounds like I'm being a bit facetious. I'm not. There's actually a thing online where you can look where a guy went to a campus at a university. It's known for being quite liberal in America. And, he's, and he asked them if... And he got more and more ridiculous. And some people were saying, yeah, it's fine if that's, what you, if that's for you. And you think, I'm, I'm not saying people don't struggle with certain parts of their identity. I'm not talking about that. We should be compassionate and caring to people, and the church hasn't already always done that. But you are allowed to believe almost anything you want. That's what I get told when I'm talking to people on the street all the time. And my response to that is, really? How about ISIS? Okay, what they believe, is it? How about misogyny? All right to think of sexism. Is that all right? It's not true. It's just blatantly not true that whatever you think is okay is blatantly not true. And we need to be loving in how we say that. But either God, Jesus is God and he came to save us, or he didn't. There's no middle ground. He's a nice guy. No, he claimed to be God. He said he died in our place. So there's an internal pressure, but there's also an external pressure. The culture we're in now is... That's great for you. Don't you dare put that in my realm. So we feel like we shouldn't, and we're imposing. So there's an internal and an external opposition to sharing your faith. Now, we need to choose wisely and lovingly to overcome that. Wisely and lovingly to overcome that. Because... The next thing I see in this passage is Jesus comes and says, come, follow me. And he does it. I love this. He does it by name. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he knows you by name. And he's not asking you to join some great mass called King's Church Hastings. It's right to find a family where you can flourish. But he comes to you by name. He says, Sue, Vic, Claire. Kev, picking on him all the time. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be known by you. But it's not some selfish ticket to heaven gig, because then he wants to be known through you. You're not, he doesn't want just to know you, so you're some add-on extra. No, he's got a place for you, a part for you to play. He wants you involved on Team Jesus. So, there's an invitation. Now, I wanted to explain a little bit what this fishers of men means, because I've never really looked into that. And it sounds great, doesn't it? Come follow me, be fishers of men. Just sounds like, oh yeah, they were fishing for fish, now they're fishing for men. It's just an obvious play on words. It is, and it isn't. The background to that, to understand the background of that, you need to understand the, the role of John the Baptist. Now, I was talking to someone in, uh, uh, after this, I'd finished preaching uh, Kings. And they said to me, do you know, when the Queen Mother came to our area, they did up the, the, the road and the pavement outside. They, they made it all beautiful and ready for her to come. So they still do that now. And the reason she told me that is 
John the Baptist, when asked who he was, because everyone flocked to him. These guys uh, flocked him to hear him speak. When the rulers and authorities said, who are you? What are you doing? Because you're not trained in our universities. You're not a religious leader. Where do you get your authority from? John the Baptist said, oh, I'm a voice speaking in the wilderness. Prepare the way for God's king. Prepare the way for God. So basically, John the Baptist says, do not get confused or caught up with who I am. Listen to what I'm saying. John's saying, it doesn't matter who I am. Just listen to my words. I'm called to prepare the way. And what used to happen in the old days, when a king or queen came or a dignitary came, they literally, they had immense power. Immense power. They had the power of life and death if they wanted to. If a king was coming to your town... You would go, there was no real roads right back when the prophecies came. They'd go outside and they'd make the land as flat as possible. They'd try and make like a road. So when it got near to your town, your city, the king didn't come and the horse or the chariot he's in stumbles, he falls out and he comes in thinking, I'm, I'm mad already. You do not want this guy turning up mad. He's got the power of life and death in his hand. He's got the power for your city to be risen up or to be made low. So when a king was coming, they'd flatten the road. Every valley, they'd do everything they could, first impressions, everything they could to make sure the entry was as smooth. Look, we've made an effort for you. Look, we really want you to come. Of course, there's an honor because they're a dignitary. But you don't want someone with the power of law. If a king is coming, you want to get things right. You can imagine, can't you, the queen's coming to your house. What you're going to do is you're going to scurry funge. Do you know what that means? Run around madly putting things away because someone important's coming. You are, aren't you? You're going to get out of your bed. You're going to make an effort. The doorstep's going to be cleaner than ever before. You're probably going to move your car if you've got to drive off the drive to leave a spot. That's what this means. But the interesting thing is, it means the king's coming, someone who has the power of life and death. It means you want to get on the right side. You want the pleasure of this person who's coming, not the displeasure. It means they're worthy of honor and dignity. Someone of real, they're so important, John says, I'm just a voice saying, get ready. What's interesting is when John comes to prepare the way, he doesn't go around saying, Andrew, move your bottle. Can you get that off your lap? Can you put that back? He doesn't do that. He says, this guy is not interested in how smooth the road is. This guy's interested in your hearts. What's the state of your heart? And is that affecting your life? So John says to the soldiers, don't be mean. He says to the rulers, serve God properly on behalf of the people. God's king is coming. We've got to get prepared. That's what John's ministry was all about. When you understand that, then we can introduce when Jesus comes along and says, come with me and you'll be fishers of men. In the Old Testament, a bit that's hundreds if not thousands of of years old and actually much older than the new part, what used to happen is when powers like Egypt, when they had an empire, they would start to be very rotten and dominate and crush and oppress the poor and particularly the people that followed God. They would start to make it difficult and persecute them. And after a while, God would send a prophet looking like John who would say, God is going to come and he's going to be like a fisher of men. If you don't change your ways, he'll put a hook in your mouth, he'll drag you up and he'll cast you out. Fishing for men, according 
to the, what they knew at the time was God's business, and it meant the dominant force that was a bully and persecuting, its power was going to be utterly crushed and broken and so that the people of God could be gathered and freed. When Jesus came, they were under the power of the Romans. And they did some good things like roads and all that, but they were quite dominant and quite unhelpful. So when he says, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men, they're thinking, oh, this is great. God's king is coming, and he's going to smash the power. This is part of what was going on. There's a lot more. But he's going to smash the power of the Romans. He's going to rescue the people of God. Put your nets down, I'm in. Of course they put their nets down and responded. Of course John spoke so gruffly. He didn't need to ask permission from the rulers that were there because God's king was coming. He was speaking up for God's king. He's saying, the real king, the real power is coming. You lot, I don't care if you're in charge around here. I tell you, sort your life out. I don't care if you're a soldier or religious. You need to sort your life out. Why? Because the one who really is in charge, the one who made it all, is coming. And he calls people to be fishers of men. Now, what happens when Jesus comes and they accept his invitation, the activity of God starts. Because immediately after they say yes and they leave him, they go with him, he goes into the synagogue and he preaches and he heals. Basically, Jesus starts to do stuff that brings wholeness and health to humanity and reconnects them to God. He does all the stuff. And the point for us is, I know I've left it hanging with fishes and men's all about judgment. I'm coming back to that. Don't worry. When they ex- overcome their fear, Jesus overcomes the, 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 the reason not to speak, and he does, and he calls them, and, they, and the disciples accept the invitation. They get to do the stuff. It says here, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching, proclaiming. So there's a speaking about Jesus. And it says, healing every disease and affliction. When we overcome our fear and we accept God's invitation to share the gospel, then we start to see the stuff. We start to see God bringing wholeness to people. So back to fishes of men. You still with me? One day, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died in our place so that anything, anything offensive in our life towards God and towards others is paid for so that we can have a friendship with God. One day, Jesus, then, he, then he, was, he died in our place, then he rose again, so he went to be with his father. One day, the king is coming back. One day, Jesus is coming back. When he does, it says he will judge the living and the dead. What sometimes they didn't understand when these Old Testament prophets were looking in the future, it was going to, the king was going to come twice. He came once. He followed John the Baptist. He, prepared to, and he, he, he came and he took over what John the Baptist said. And he started saying, the kingdom of God is here. John was right. I'm going to preach exactly the same message as him. Except Jesus could say, you've sinned me. Live with me. Learn what I'm like. Turn your life to me. Because one day I will be coming back. And John and the prophets were right. When I do come back, I will deal with the Romans. But I'll deal with you and you and everything that's offensive to God. Everything that causes pain, your selfishness, your greed, 
everything that causes pain on planet Earth, which is foul and offensive, even if it's quite polished and nice because we're middle class. And he says, I'm going to deal with it all. I will come back as the fisher of men and I will put a hook in their mouth and I will draw them up and if they are rotten, they'll be cast away. But the reason Jesus came the first time is because the Bible says, but he doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want to hook anyone out. So he came, God came himself, rather than bringing his judgment on what you and I have done wrong, he came himself to say, please come. Please come. Do not wait until you die, because therefore you meet Jesus, or I come back again, because it will be too late. And God's just, so he is a fisher of men. He will deal with what's in us that causes pain to others, but he doesn't want to do that, so he, his son came the first time. So if we respond in faith, I do believe who Jesus is, and I will respond to him, you can be rescued, and you will have no fear of the judgment to come, because you will become a friend of God. More than that, do you remember what I said before? You will be brought into the family, his family business of saving people. That is why we share our faith. We don't like to talk about it, but he is coming back. And when he does, it will be too late. In this time, we get to partner with him and say, come, meet Jesus. Meet the God who saved me. Come and join the family business of telling others. And then we get to do the stuff. How long have I got, Andrew? So, can I tell you a quick story about sharing my faith? Is that okay? In which it, it caused, it had to, I had to accept the invitation, but I had to overcome a lot of stuff, and then I saw the action of God. I was a teacher in the northeast of England, and I had a sweet deal, because I was invited to this school for a year. I had a year's contract, and they said, you've got a lot of, a lot of experience, so we'll pay you a teacher's salary. All the teachers in the room are going to hate this. But you're going to act as a cover teacher. So there's no marking, no planning, no parents' evening. You can come when the children come, and you can go when the bell goes. And there's nothing in the holidays. <laughs> Am I allowed to say God loves everyone? But at that moment, I felt like his, I felt like his favorite. Um, but what happened was, what's the, what's the downside? I got all the lessons none of the other teachers wanted to teach. That's the downside. And so I got a lot of stuff which is like spiritual, moral, uh, sort of RE type PHSE, like personal development stuff. And I love sharing my faith, but I like to be, have as much integrity as I can with it. So when I was asked to teach these classes, I would tell them I'm a Christian because it affects what you think and what you believe of everything. And I know we like to think that we're really great and we can do things totally objectively. It's just not true. <laughs> it will affect how I come across to some extent in ways I don't even realize. So I, I wanted them to know I'm a Christian. So when we're talking through some of this stuff, I have a personal agenda. I, don't try, I try not to bring that to the classroom. I try to teach what's in front of me. But it does affect you because your orthodoxy, what you believe, affects your orthopraxy, how you act and behave in ways you don't understand. I don't understand. And um, there was a two to three week period where I was teaching in a lesson and this girl, they're all girls for some reason, this girl just was started weeping in the middle of class. So the first thing I'm thinking is, right, dignity. 
Let's gently get her out with a friend so it's not embarrassing in front of everyone. Let's make sure the class is safe. You know, this is about wisdom in sharing your faith. Let's make sure the class is safe. I have a duty to everyone, not just to her. Then I get her outside. I said, what's up? And I can't remember who it was, but someone very dear to her had cancer. And it was a pretty bad uh, prognosis. So she had a friend with her. And I said, I don't know if you're even allowed to do this now, but I, I was at the time. I said, well, you, they knew I was a Christian. I said, do you mind if I pray? Yes, please. So I prayed that God would uh, intervene in that situation. And as far as I know, nothing happened. As far as I know, I'm aware. A few days later, I'm teaching another class. Another girl breaks down. And this, I do the same stuff. We get outside, cancer affecting a, a, a loved one. So do you mind if I pray? No, please do, sir. Please do, because the prognosis isn't good. As far as I'm aware, nothing happens. The drive home that day, I was mad. I was mad. Because I asked them how they felt about cancer. They said, I hate it. I thought, I do too. Actually, I do too. What it does to people, what it does to families, what it does, does to us. I thought, I hate it too. And I've jolly prayed in the name of Jesus and nothing's happened. And so it's like God was getting my attention. You know, if it's in Back to the Future, it's like, McFly, McFly, we're supposed to do the stuff. We're not supposed to be happy with we pray and nothing happens. We're not supposed to be uncaring because not everyone gets healed straight away. Sometimes it's not till they go to be with Jesus and they get a new body later on. So we're supposed to have, be a healing community where we can provide comfort and it's okay to be sick here and be cared for. And actually what that does, you need to tell people if you are, not too many, so that the, the, the church can care and love and it makes the church more when they get to care. I know you need your space as well. But we're not supposed to be happy that these diseases just show themselves. And when you pray in Jesus' name, they don't bow the knee. They're sort of there like this cocky thing. I'm cancer. Don't talk to me. I'm not going anywhere. And I remember, that's how I felt. That's what was going on inside me. And I got home, and I took the dog for a walk. Uh, I was in Hartlepool, and there was this ring road, path called Summerhill, and it went up all through the, the fields. It was beautiful. But as you went up one side, you'd overlook Teesside, which is where the school was. And I had it out with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I know I'm but dust. I know he's holy. But I think he quite likes it. So I had it out with God. I said, I do not find this acceptable, Father, that in your name I'm praying and this foul, stinking disease is still wrecking these lives. I mean, I really went for it. I don't think I've ever prayed like it before or afterwards. I think we're probably a bit too nice because listen to what happened. The following week, roughly, it's a while ago now, I'm in another lesson, and a girl breaks down. And I'm like, same process. I said, what's, what's up? She says, cancer. And I am thinking, I am coming for you, cancer. Not in anything I've got, but in the name of Jesus. The, enough. I've fought and won something before God in private. That's what's happened. I say to her, would you mind if we pray? She says, oh, yes, please. We pray, and I leave it, and teachers are busy. Even me with my sweet deal was quite busy, and we were planting a church, kids, so I just forgot about it. And I'm walking through the corridor you know, weeks later, and she walks past, and I don't even say hello to her. And she goes, and I think, oh, and I call her back, because I suddenly think, I said, oh, hang on, how's your dad? She said, it's great, he's better. I said, 
oh, okay, and walked on, and I went, because I I was just trying to get to the next lesson, and I stopped myself, and I went back, I said, hang on a minute, you mean to tell me your dad had cancer? She went, yeah, and I said, and we prayed, she says, yes, and now he doesn't, she went, yes, I said, how do you feel? She said, I'm buzzing, that's what it's like, really, in the corridor, she jumped up in the air and walked on. I had to overcome fear. What about, what about if someone makes a complaint against me? What, what about if I get it wrong? You know, they're vulnerable. They're, they're, what about if someone's like, no, I don't want you to pray. What about if I make it worse? What about the fact I prayed last time and nothing happened? I'll do it again. Am I just doing it to make myself feel better? Like I'm a bit bold. What? I had to overcome. I had to accept the invitation of God, putting it in front of me three times. And then, thank God. God, I saw the activity of God in healing that precious life. Do you know, there's reasons why we don't share our faith. One of them is people think, my actions speak for me. Let me tell you, they do, they don't speak for, for God. Your actions do speak for you, they don't speak for God. If you cut someone's grass regularly, that's great, they'll think you're nice. They speak for you, they don't speak for God. You have to share your faith to speak for God at some point in some way. You remember that famous verse, that famous phrase from Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. He never said it. He never said it. Francis of Assisi went around preaching the gospel all the time. And the reason people listened to him is because he loved people so dearly. We remember what his love for people, we don't remember his words. In fact, we've invented this thing, this isn't true. It's not preach the gospel and if necessary use words it's preach the gospel with words and make sure your life lines up life lines up with it because if not you're like a clanging gong so the only people really who shouldn't share their faith and you have my permission not to is if you don't love people as far as i can see it's the only category of people in scripture that probably you could argue don't share your faith adam and eve not adam and steve all that sort of stuff placards and all that it's hideous it's hideous. It's like attacking Islam. And it's like, what? what? Making, it's hideous. Love people. Love people because he's coming back. And they will face the judgment of God if they're not told. And we have the privilege of saying, you don't have to. And it's not just being a little bit rescued. You can be brought into the family of God. Find your true identity. Start to flourish and become fishers of men. So your actions do not speak. They speak for you but not for God. The timing's not right. I remember the Bishop of Durham coming to Hartlepool Food Bank that I was part of at the time, bringing his wife, and uh, basically uh, everyone had spent a lot of time with him, but not with her. And he said, look, can someone spend some time with her? I said, yeah, come to my table. And I'd made a decision. I'm, I'm going to offer to pray for whoever sits down. It's not normally like this, but the classic case, disheveled, drunk, comes and sits down opposite me, and I'm thinking, ugh. Oh, Everything I've been taught is you don't try and pray with people like that. You know, they're drunk. It doesn't, the timing's not right. I thought, no, I wanted her to see what we do at Food Bank and how we pray and treat people with dignity. I listened to his story. It's horrible. It's horrible. No wonder he drinks. No wonder he's disheveled. He's doing well to just be here. I said, would you like me to pray? He said, yes, please. And all I can say is it's like God drew a little circle around our table. It's like we had a moment where he was sober and the love of God touched him. I don't know where he, what happened. If you wait for the right timing, you might wait a long time. I'm not saying be untactful, be unthoughtful. And the last one 
is um, I'm praying for courage. <sighs> courage. You don't know if you've got courage unless you're overcoming because you're nervous. If you're not nervous, you don't need courage. Praying for courage won't take away the fear. It doesn't. You find out if you've got courage when you, you choose to do it. Courage is, courage is doing, actually. If Paul Edworthy shared these three things with me, why he, in his life, hasn't shared his faith, and um, he gave me permission. He said, often when I pray with courage, what it means is, I haven't got any, and I've got no intention of having any, and I don't want to share my faith, so I just spend more time praying for it. So we can pray for courage, we can, but then we need to get on and do it. So, there's always opposition to sharing our faith, always. But the only people, really, who you could maybe argue shouldn't share their faith are people that don't love. You don't need to be good enough, clever enough. I was thinking about what I could give you as a practical help. You know that famous verse, John 3.16? Hands up who knows that famous verse. Let me tell you, it's not famous anymore. It's not famous anymore. Kids in schools don't know it. You, it got so famous at one point, you could go to a sporting event and just write John 3.16 and hold it up, and everyone would know, and they would be challenged. You did that now, they just think, what, John 3.16? You meet John at quarter past three. There's a reason it was the most famous verse in the Bible, because it's the best verse in the Bible for sharing your faith. For God so loves you. God so loves you. And he loves this world that he wants to do something about the mess in your life, in institutions, even in the very fabric of this planet. God so loves you that he's done something to rescue you. He sent his very one and only son, Jesus. So whoever believes in him, so that's got to include you. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you're struggling with. doesn't matter your intellectual ability. doesn't matter your background. God so loves you that he sent his son, that if you would choose to believe in him, so you need to find out about him and see if you believe in what he said. If you do and you step in, you choose to give your life to him, you will not perish. The perishing you see sometimes in your own heart and life, the perishing you see around you and that is to come, you will start to be rescued from that now and forevermore because you will have eternal life. The verse I'd add to that is when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you'll know God and his son Jesus whom you've sent. So if you want to get better at evangelism, learn that verse and go and share it with someone. That's what I'd say. Let's, let's make that verse famous again. Not because we, we've got to, because we're some sort of cult, or, but because God so loves the people out there. Even if their life's going well, he wants a relationship with them, and he wants to rescue them from the judgment to come. That's why we are called to be fishers of men now. We get to partner with him in sharing our faith. So don't be conned into being quiet. When you were rescued, you were also recruited to be fishers of men. Father God, I thank you so much for these dear folk I thank you for their courage they do have. I thank you for their commitment to not just building some good venue or church, although they're passionate about that, but in introducing other people to Jesus, to the God who loves them. I pray for increased boldness and courage. I pray you'd give out gifts of healing to them, words of knowledge. I pray as they accept your invitation and overcome the challenges, I pray your activity would increase amongst this people 
In Jesus' name, amen.